0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a cloudy day here in the capital city as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. My name is Scott Chaloner and I'm delighted to be joined on today's programme by Carl Hopkinson. Carl is the head teacher of Arnold Woodthorpe Infant School, an outstanding education provider based in Nottingham. Carl, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for joining us on the programme this afternoon.
1: Hi like there, yeah, thank you for having me.
0: It's my pleasure, Carl. Now, um, the purpose of this discussion is to, first and foremost, establish your take on leadership as a whole. And I think it is fair to say, isn't it, that leadership is something that's really being put to the test at the moment, isn't it, with the emergence of COVID-19, no less, and the need for leaders of businesses, institutions, governments and communities to feel their way through what's ultimately an unprecedented crisis. Um, I would like to discuss COVID-19 in a little bit more detail later on, of course. But if we start the discussion by just looking at the word leader first and foremost. I'm interested to understand, Carl, what that word actually means to you and how it resonates. What ought a leader to be, in your opinion?
1: Um, I believe in its simplest form. I think being a leader is someone who is an enabler, so somebody who motivates others, um, but also, importantly, gives the freedom and the trust to others to carry out tasks or projects or whatever it might be. Um, so long as they are reaching the desired end result, um, then actually giving them the opportunity to to carry out the operational side of things. Um, I believe that will give them self-motivation um, compared to tasks that are particularly directed to others. Um, so in addition to that, I would also say it's important to have those real open and trusting relationships with everyone in the organization. Um, I'm a firm believer that titles or job positions are hierarchical, but uh, relationships aren't. So giving time to people um, and showing that you have that time for them and putting the effort into building those relationships with everyone in your organization as well. Uh, So that would apply in my situation to the staff to the children and also to the parents, I think by having those open and trusting relationships, um, you're able to bring people with you um, and able to to lead, but not by directing, but by having followers um, yeah. that are working with you.
0: I can certainly see where you're coming from uh, from that point of view, Carl. And um I think. Because, of course, you mentioned there's a hierarchy in place, even though relationships sort of differ in that sense between sort of yourself and your colleagues. Nonetheless, people still look to those above them in the hierarchy of a business organisation or a school just for a little bit of direction and a little bit of inspiration. And that's certainly the case in the here and now, of course, with COVID-19 and people looking to their leaders for that much needed reassurance. But when you are sort of at the top of the tree, as it were, and there is really nobody above you, where do you draw inspiration? from
1: um I, I draw inspiration from my own experiences so knowing that not lot too long ago i was in a position um where my um my staff would uh, find themselves in and i know how i best reacted to those that were above me Um so i try to draw on my own experience as much as possible because i think it's it's very important that once you do reach those places of leadership that you are grounded and aware of of how those who work below you in a hierarchy sense um feel and and react best to particular styles of leadership um i think it's it's very easy to lose touch sometimes um when you've uh, you've moved on from a particular role, so I believe it's important that um, that reflecting back on on your own experiences uh, will will guide your leadership in, in a positive way.
0: And it's all about learning, isn't it? I think having that experience of trying things for yourself and maybe suffering one or two setbacks and embracing them as learning curves are a crucial part of that development. And that links very nicely into that idea that you mentioned earlier about empowering people to do things for themselves because they have to have that experience of trying things and learning things as well, don't they? Because without that, we can't really hope to develop into effective um, leaders within our role, can we?
1: Completely agree, completely agree. I can remember reading once um, something along the lines of um, if somebody needed something fetching and you directed someone to to go and fetch it for you, if they went to the place where they believed it was uh, and it wasn't there, they'd come back and say it wasn't there. Whereas this the same situation, you asked for volunteers and someone offered themselves for the role, they went to look for it, they couldn't find it, they'd be more self-motivated to look elsewhere for it. And and it's that sort of uh, analogy that I I try and use with my staff. So giving them the opportunities to make mistakes, potentially fail, but like you said, uh, learning from those um, and actually using that experience to to give them the motivation to either pursue that particular task or try it in a different way.
0: And albeit the ongoing COVID nineteen situation has been an incredibly tragic and a very difficult time as well. I think it is fair to say that it's been one of the greatest learning curves for society today, um, as we've charted a course through this unprecedented crisis. Um, for yourself, uh, Carl, being the head teacher of a school, how has it been adapting to the challenges that the pandemic has brought about? And indeed, is there anything that you have learned from this crisis management experience?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's definitely been a very different way of working. Um, initially, there was a very sudden need dropped on us uh, to work remotely and to provide learning remotely. Now, for younger children, that has proved to be challenging uh, because inevitably it requires uh, parental support to, to help those children access learning at home. Um, it's involved setting up systems that are appropriate for those children um, and then communicating with parents remotely as much as possible as well. And then in line with that, it's also providing that training and support to the staff for, for providing learning um, in that new way as well. So it was a, a very steep learning curve for us. I think what I've learned from that aspect of things is it's very important to have the right kind of people in your team, um, people that are driven and... Um, and it sort of goes back to that idea of having those relationships with your staff and people that you can rely on and, and lean on when needed uh, to, to the best support you in those decisions that you're having to make. Um, obviously, we've had to put in new processes and health and safety measures quite quickly. So again, having this, the full support of, of my team has been um, beneficial uh, and, and has really helped us to, to reach the place where we are now. So, when I reflect back, I would probably say what I've learned most is, um, is having a true appreciation of the qualities of my team and, and knowing that the work we put in beforehand to build those relationships between myself and, and my staff has, has definitely paid off in, in times like this when it's been needed the most.
0: Absolutely. And um, when we think about how the school has had to, of course, adapt to those changes, um, it's really really raised um, this COVID-19 situation um, the importance of mental health and well-being back to the fore hasn't it Uh, because there is that sort of lack of a sort of common working space human interaction and if we think about that for a second Carl how important do you think that mental health is within leadership both in terms of looking after your own and that of your colleagues but also given your line of work that of the pupils as well who of course are stuck at home and ultimately will also be struggling as a result of this.
1: At this moment in time, it's probably the most um, important part of what we are doing in terms of trying to rebuild some normality back into the school. Um, quite early on, we realised and, and researched the impacts of what the current situation will be having on uh, not only the children, but parents and also staff and mental wellbeing. Um, so as part of our... Home learning and then the opportunities we were providing to those children at home, we did ensure that um, we were including work um, around uh, wellbeing uh, and supporting them. And also, when children have started to, to come back into school in greater numbers, uh, a large focus of our curriculum has been on on wellbeing. Um, and already, even with young children, uh, we have we have noticed just how much this has impacted on particular children. Um, I have no doubt that it's impacted on everybody in some way, Um, but it's really come to the forefront how much of an impact it has had on some children coming into school. And we're talking five- and six-year-olds. I I disagree when people say that children are are very resilient. I think it's perhaps more prominent than ever um, the importance of well-being and mental health and, and the need to take that seriously and to cater and support that. Um, so actually in, in light of the current situation, we've been doing lots of um, work already on adapting our curriculum ready for September where well-being will be um, having a, a a daily place in our curriculum where a daily session around well-being and support will be put in place because we anticipate the the impact um to, to be much more long term than just whilst this this current situation lasts um in terms of staff equally um i suppose again you're only as good as your staff so making sure that their well-being is catered for and and again i, I know i keep coming back to it but that's where i believe those strong relationships with the staff is very important because I think that leads to that openness and um, honesty between myself and my staff. So I I feel confident that should they have um, any particular issues or be struggling with something in particular, they know that they have my time and that they can come and discuss those with me. Um, so, so yes, going forward, it, it's definitely going to be something which is, is on our agenda um, and is of equal importance compared to the academic side of things in terms of helping children to catch up on any particular learning that they may have missed.
0: Exactly right. And um, if we do think about now what the future is going to hold as we sort of adjust to the new normal over the course of the next 12 to 18 months, Carl, um, what do you envision for yourself and for Arnold Woodthorpe Infant School? And what do you really hope to achieve as we move through the pandemic and focus on the longer term future?
1: I think our most important thing is to reconnect with our school community, And build it back up to where it was before uh, the school closures uh, started at the end of March. Um, We have already launched a community project, an arts project um, for the children of our school and also their families to contribute to this whole school um, project as a way of physically rebuilding and reconnecting people back to the school site. Now, as we move into September, and beyond. Obviously a lot of it will be dependent on what the, uh, the government advise and, and the guidance that we are given in terms of how school looks but um, I think developing our curriculum further, uh, we've spent a lot of time this year redeveloping our curriculum um, and I think in light of this further work is going to be needed to ensure all those uh, well being elements are included and adapting processes within the school where needed, so looking at how assemblies might run or staggered start times and finish times, whilst maintaining as much normality for the children as possible, um, because inevitably there's going to be some children who wouldn't have been in school for six months by the time they come back in September, so it's looking at how we transition those children back into school and provide some routine and comfort for them.
0: And let's certainly hope that those plans are carried out without um, any real hindrance, Carl, for sure. Um, I have to say, I mean, it's been a real pleasure and also a very informative experience having you join us on the uh, the programme today to discuss these issues. And considering that it's one thing discussing the future here and now and then it's another thing entirely looking back and reflecting on it I think it would be fantastic from a listener's point of view to have you back on the air with us in um, a few months time just to catch up and gauge how things are getting on as schools return and just see how things are panning out in that respect
1: yes that would be great I look forward to that thank you
0: I think it would be wonderful, Carl. Um, it's been a real pleasure for me um, having you uh, join us this afternoon. And until we do speak again, which I'm sure we will, do take care and do stay safe with all still going on in the meantime, because as we both well know, we're certainly not out of the woods with this COVID situation yet. And there's still plenty of time for things to change, of course.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. And all the best to you as well.
0: That was Carl and speaking, head teacher of Arnold Woodthorpe Infant School in Nottingham. Coming up next on today's programme, I'll be handing over to... Jonathan White, for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Geoff Hurst. During his professional career, Sir Geoff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But most notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup competition, following his treble in England's 4-2 victory over West Germany at the Old Wembley Stadium. 54 long years ago now i hope that you enjoy listening just as much as jonathan relished the opportunity to speak with sir jeff and all of that is coming up next uh, we're now joined uh,
2: though by former england footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a world cup final sir jeff hurst uh, thank you very much for coming on today
3: uh, you're, welcome. you're welcome you're good afternoon
2: Absolutely, and in those early days um at west Ham uh, with with a manager like, like uh, ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh uh confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters
3: I think probably well, I was very fortunate to play with the talent of the players I did. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, uh, I do understand clearly, all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that that's, that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before I was I was playing and I played with the Immigrés in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be
2: uh, well, you want me. I, I can tell you true. if you want. you
3: want. you got time. I can tell I go, you if you want.
2: Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point.
3: Okay. So I was uh, doing it at a dinner in, in the Channel Islands, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was, there was a football questions. And then all of a sudden, I had a, somebody at the back who